Welcome to The Markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson here with our weekly get-together, checking market activity from Wall Street to feedlots to grain fields. We do this every week throughout the year. Dateline, Friday, December 27th, Scottsdale, Arizona. Max Armstrong has the weekend off, but among other things, during our visit this week, We'll be hearing my year-end interview, or parts of it, with Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, who will take a look back at the year coming to an end and the year coming up and the challenges that the year will be holding for Wall Street and for agricultural producers here in the United States. Pleasure to be with you every week, and let's begin with the story of Wall Street as we ended this trading week. The Nasdaq snapped an 11-day streak of gains today after some late session weakness, but the S&P 500 and the Dow scratched out again record-closing highs with slight gains as a year-end rally continued to chug along. I don't know if the rally was strong enough to call it a Santa Claus rally, But it has been pretty consistent and pretty steady. And with only two trading days left for the year, Monday and Tuesday, the benchmark S&P 500 has climbed more than 29% so far in 2019. And that's the biggest annual percentage gain for the S&P 500 since 2013. But of course, Trading volume has been thin during the holiday shortened week, and it could continue to be thin through the New Year's holiday on Wednesday. But one analyst, Rick Meckler of Cherry Lane Investments in New Vernon, New Jersey, said for the most part, the market seems to be in a holding pattern until year end. There has been such strong gains for the year that I think until the fresh money comes in after year end for new contributions to IRIS and other retirement accounts to start the year, I just don't think there is a lot of push to drive this market too much higher at the moment. Data today showed profits at China's industrial firms grew at the fastest pace in eight months in November, but broad weakness in the country's domestic demand remains a risk for company earnings next year. Investor expectations that the United States and China will soon sign a phase one trade deal has certainly added momentum to the stock market heading into 2020. James Reagan, Director of Wealth Management Research at D.A. Davidson said, you've got expectations that the phase one trade agreement is signed in early to mid-January. He said, in a situation where you have got the trade expectation that could help stimulate business spending next year, still low interest rates and the strong consumer. That's a recipe for stock values to continue to move higher. So for the day, the Dow Industrial Average was up 24 points, ending the day and the week at 28,645 
The S&P 500 ended the day and the week at 32.40. That's uh, just a tenth of a point. And the NASDAQ composite dropped 15 points to close at 9,006.62. And of course, on Thursday, the day after Christmas, we saw the S or the NASDAQ trade above 9,000 for the first time in history. Among S&P 500 sectors, consumer staples, real estate, and utilities were the top performers. Energy and materials lagged among the sectors. And aside from optimism over trade relations, the stock market has been lifted by interest rate cuts by the Federal Reserve and better-than-feared economic data and corporate profits. And to give you an idea of trading volume on a holiday week, about 5.2 billion shares changed hands at U.S. exchanges compared with a 6.8 billion daily average over the last 20 sessions. And at the moment, uh, a fairly quiet week ahead, not much to report in the way of expected earnings or reports coming in. So let's take a look at the three-month high on uh, the oil market. The oil prices rose to the fourth consecutive weekly gain today, steadying at three-month highs after new data showed that U.S. crude inventories fell far more than expected, while upbeat economic data and again optimism over a U.S.-China trade deal fueled a year-end stock market rally. So Brent crude rose 24 cents to end the week at $68.68 a barrel. That, by the way, is the highest since mid-September. And the international benchmark has climbed nearly 25 or 27% since the end of 2018. And U.S. crude went up only 4 cents a barrel today to end the week at $61.72. That's another three-month high. And the U.S. benchmark has risen 36% so far this year. And adding to the strength in the oil market, crude stocks fell by 5.5 million barrels in the week ending December 20th, coming down to 441,400,000 barrels. That's according to the Energy Information Administration. And uh, Josh Graves, senior market strategist at RJO Futures in Chicago, said inventories are bullish almost across the board. U.S. energy firms idled eight working oil rigs. That's the first reduction in three weeks as producers followed through on plans to slash spending. That according to energy services firm Baker Hughes. So that's a quick review of what happened this week. A couple of more stories, though, that are worth mentioning. The number of Americans filing applications for unemployment benefits last week, initial claims for state unemployment benefits dropped 13,000 to 222,000 for the week ended December 21st. 
Economists polled by Reuters said forecast claims would fall to 224,000 in the latest week. The drop in the latest week largely unwound a surge in new claims two weeks earlier that appeared to reflect a late Thanksgiving day this year compared to 2018, and that could have thrown off the model used by the government to strip out seasonal fluctuations from the data. So uh, the U.S. labor market appears to continue strong despite a slowdown in U.S. manufacturing and lackluster business investment that economists have attributed to uncertainty that's been going on for more than a year on the U.S.-China trade war. But hopefully, as we hit the new year, we'll at least get a signing of phase one of the U.S.-China trade agreement. And uh, it wasn't just the United States that saw strength in the equity markets. Gold prices rose and a gauge of global equity markets hit a record high on Thursday in light holiday trade as a year-end rally in stocks remained on course. And Boxing Day holidays closed markets in Commonwealth countries around the world while the second Christmas Day closed markets in a swath of European countries. So right now, at least, as we come to the end of this year, we are seeing some pretty positive signs for the new year. And one of the stocks that a lot of investors watch, because it seems to be a standard for a certain category, Tiffany & Company, Uh, On Thursday, estimated sales growth of 1% to 3% during the holidays. And the biggest contribution coming from where? China. And a recovery also in the Americas. Last year, holiday sales in Asia, Pacific, and the Americas fell 3% and 1% respectively which they attributed to a slowdown in tourism and softening demand among locals in its home market. But a spokesman for Tiffany said, we continued to see Chinese doing a lot of buying on the Chinese mainland, and that drove overall sales growth for Tiffany with a strong double-digit increase offset by the persisting declines in the Hong Kong market because of the turmoil there, and to a lesser degree, Japan. But all in all, sales of Tiffany, particularly in, for, in North America and some foreign countries, apparently did a pretty good job again in this holiday season. Well, coming up, I'm going to share with you part of the interview we did for our television show this week in agribusiness with Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, when we continue 
with the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Mr. Secretary, were you able to spend any time at home during the Christmas, New Year's celebrations? You're always traveling. We had a great Thanksgiving week. I do travel over 50% of the time, but we had a great family time during Thanksgiving. Many people know that we got four children and 14 grandchildren, and it's a real blessing to be able to gather all of them together and uh, have a little home time. I don't get home probably about every six to eight weeks, but uh, we enjoy the time when we see them. Share with me a little bit of what you are hearing from producers across the country as you make these visits all over the country. Sure. Well, we're out all over trying to be listening sessions. Many people want us to come speak. I want to come listen and really have feedback from our producers. I always ask them, I said, I want to know what we're doing we shouldn't be doing and what should we be doing we're not doing because this is a service organization and uh, from agriculture and many other of the things that we impact. I, I hear still anxiety. Obviously, we'd love more certainty regarding our trade relationships. Labor is still a huge issue there. We need a legal, viable guest worker program for agriculture in the worst kind of way here. And certainly we need to continue our deregulatory efforts out there. WOTUS obviously was a great win of rescinding the waters of the U.S. rule uh, this year. But, uh, and I think, again, the president is going to make clear that 15 billion gallons of uh, ethanol means 15 billion gallons. Okay, so we'll get that uh, exemption thing taken care of? I think we will. In fact, I've told uh, uh, Administrator Wheeler, I'm not, I, I really can't control what small refinery waivers you give, but the number on top of the line ought to equal 15 billion gallons when you subtract those small refinery waivers. That's the commitment. I, I believe President Trump has gotten his attention as well in that regard, and I think farmers can go with certainty. The other thing about that is let's be about the business of building infrastructure where we can take advantage of the year-round E15. That's a 50% increase in consumption. I'm convinced when, when customers come up to the pump, if they've got access to that E15, 88 octane versus 87, at probably a 2 to $0.05 cent cost advantage, I think consumers are smart enough to choose that. We just got to get it presented to them in that way. And I think we're making progress. New York State, for example, approved uh, the sale. And uh, we're now looking at automobile warranties, I That's think. That's right. Yes. All of that EPA is talking about that, as well as E85 and making sure that the regulations over E85 for those states that want to allow an even greater percentage there uh, and acknowledge that modern automobiles since 2001 are not harmed by that. Let's get get way of all that noise out there about uh, uh, E15 or E25 or E30 and let the consumers know it's a benefit not only their vehicles, but their environment. One of the big agencies at USDA is the Forest Service, and we've had the horrendous fires that have occurred over the past couple of years. What can we do to change that? Well, we're way behind the curve, obviously, because of uh, 
policies that are not worked by not uh, thinning trees, not allowing us in the Forest Service to uh, to thin either mechanically or by prescribed burning, and it just builds a mass network of fuel out there, and these these fires just rage through, particularly in wildland urban interfaces such as Paradise, California, and. Uh, Frank, hope you know Congress did give us some more authorities, but we're so far behind the curve. The best thing they did was give us the fire fix. Heretofore, we've been borrowing uh, money from our forest management to fight forest fires. Now we can treat them like disasters and do what we need to do ahead of time preventatively. And um, one of my pet peeves for years has been false labeling, like calling almonds or soybeans milk. And now we're dealing with what I call laboratory meat that yeah. is not really meat. But, but it's still imperative we have the labeling there to do that. Consumers will make the choice. I mean, I, yeah. uh, I believe if you've tasted some of the plant-based meat, I'm not in too much of a threat that we're going to do away with Angus and, and Hereford cows in that way. But uh, it's USDA's responsibility to make sure the labeling is accurate transparent and tells the consumers from whence that product came. And my wife has picked on several uh, managers of meat departments at supermarkets saying, you're putting fake meat beside (laughs) real meat? That should be in the vegetable department. (laughs) You want to call it plant-based and put it where the plants are, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we have more to talk about and we appreciate the opportunity we have and I've been doing this now for 45 years. And you just look like you did the first time you did it, Dorian. (laughs) We'll continue our discussion with Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, on This Week in Agribusiness. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor? and need follow-up testing. Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue with us on this week in agribusiness. And early in the new year, one of the important annual conferences staged by USDA will take place, the Agricultural Outlook Forum. What have we got planned for this year's program? I think the emphasis on innovation and the future of food. Uh, we're recognizing that uh, USDA is broader than just field production. It's really the, the breadth of food production there in so many ways with the supply chain. We're going to talk about all the various technologies and what the futurists think about that. We know consumer preferences are changing all the time, and uh, we have to keep up with that uh, in that way. So it's going to be an exciting time. What I also talk about a lot, Orion, is the digitization of agriculture. Modern technology has given us amazing sensors and optics where the, the good farmers can take not just that algorithm that used to sit on their shoulders, but now they can take real data and get down to the fifth decimal point about how precise they are. And at Farm Progress Show this week, or this year, it was interesting to see, despite the economic challenges facing farmers, those agribusiness companies are still coming up with new machines. I I saw the speed tiller, for example. I grew up with the two-bottom plow, (laughs) but now... We're doing 
10, 12 miles an hour with speed to it. And it's amazing with precision agriculture. Productivity increases, better soil health. One of the things that's exciting to me is that uh, we want to transfer agriculture as far as being blamed for environmental problems to really be carbon sinks. This soil with with uh, cover crops and with uh, uh, no-till can literally be carbon captures there that can, can, can capture millions of tons of CO2 and be more productive with better soil health. That's what we want to educate people on how to do going forward, whether it's with incentives or how we can change practices there where these types of things that we know to be good for water quality, for soil sediment, and for nutrient runoff, all those kind of things, keep what's on the soil on the soil for the next crop. I appreciate your support to get young people into agriculture with your FFA, 4-H activities and all of that. Are we making progress? Are we encouraging young people to become producers? I'm amazing as we get out. There's a real interest in agriculture today. It's almost a resurgence as I go to universities and different places where I see the energy and the passion of agriculturalists, uh, young people, and not only in those organizations, but a lot of interest. They also really want to communicate uh, in ag communications. We've done a great job uh, uh, producing, but unlike you, we haven't been good communicators about the blessings of, of American agriculture. We right now are trying to do economic research to quantify the specific advantage that American consumers have had over the, the blessings of productivity we've had. We think it may approach trillion dollars of disposable income advantage that American families have had versus any other developed country in the world. And frankly, I'm getting very, very tired of labels that say no GMOs <laughs> because my feeling is if you're opposed to GMOs, you are really hurting people around the world. Well, we would not be able to feed even the population we had had it not been for the productivity of genetic modifications and the kind of enhancements that we had. And honestly, Orion, you know there's not been a scientific study at anywhere it indicates literal physical harm for these, uh, from these uh, consuming these products. I often am asked about your background. Yes. And what have you done to become Secretary of Agriculture? Will you take us briefly through what you've been doing before this? Well, I'll begin at the beginning. I, uh, I was uh, trafficked as a child in child labor, meaning I grew up on a farm. <laughs> and my father taught me how to work. My mother was an English teacher. She taught me how to speak and to write. And I got a great, uh, uh, just a glorious childhood. I never knew the blessings of work could be so beneficial. I obviously went to the University of Georgia and uh, graduated as a veterinarian. I uh, had the pleasure of serving in the United States Air Force because Vietnam was really boiling at that time, and I wanted to volunteer. I did. And then after that, I practiced veterinary medicine for a while, but I never got over having so much dirt under my fingernails. <laughs> and after just a few years, I went back home and went into agribusiness uh, there, and that's been my primary career. Had a little tightness, though, as uh, governor of Georgia, so uh, we did that additionally. Have you found politics uh, more fun than agriculture? No. <laughs> no. Politics is an aside. Agriculture is where we eat every day, and, and really from the innovation and the challenges of agriculture, uh, I admire the men and women that put their, 
their lives and their equities on the line every year so much. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. It's always a pleasure to visit with Sonny Perdue, our current Secretary of Agriculture, and the rest of that audio and the audio you just heard will be seen on our weekly television show this week in agribusiness this weekend. But now, looking at where we ended the week in the commodity trade today, let's look at the grain market first. Wheat and soybean futures touched their highest prices since summer of 2018. Again, the expectations for increased Chinese buying as a result of an initial trade deal. Soybeans closed lower in a retreat from the gains for the day, but the markets continued to focus on prospects for more U.S. sales to China after the countries agreed this month to a phase one accord to ease their trade war. Beijing did commit to increasing purchases of U.S. farm goods as part of the trade deal, but we don't have details yet, and I don't hold my breath until we actually see the numbers and the statements from the Chinese government. But at the Chicago Board of Trade today, March wheat ended with a gain of eight and a half cents. It'll start trading Monday at five fifty-six and a quarter. March corn gained a penny and a half, ending at three dollars and ninety cents. And the uh, January soybean contract down seven and three quarter cents today at nine twenty-nine and a half. Again, as we look at livestock, we're still waiting for word on what China buying might do. But hog futures dropped today as pressure from large domestic supplies overshadowed just an uptick in pork sales to China. And traders are keeping an eye on Chinese demand because China, the world's biggest pork consumer, continues to grapple with that fatal hog disease known as African swine fever. The U.S. farmers are hoping that China will increase imports of U.S. pork. But checking the numbers at the close today, the April lean hog contract down 55 cents per hundredweight. It'll start trading next Monday at $77.87. The uh, December cattle contract ended with a gain of 12 cents, and it'll start trading at $123.50 a hundredweight on Monday, and the January feeder cattle contract dropped 7 cents, so it'll begin next week at $145.50 a hundredweight. Keep in mind, it'll be another holiday-shortened trading week next week because of the New Year's holiday. Markets will be closing a little earlier on the day before New Year's and uh, will be closed, of course, on New Year's Day and then open for regular hours uh, after the New Year's holiday. And... uh, 
I want you to remember, too, that December 30th, that's next Monday, National Bacon Day in the United States. But many Americans celebrate this tasty slice of life most days and in more ways than ever before. The National Pork Board reported U.S. consumption of bacon increased 2.4% from 2001 to 2013, with Americans consuming about 1.1 billion servings of bacon annually. And pork belly, the cut of meat that produces bacon, is found on 8.7% of U.S. menus. That's a 59% increase in the number of restaurants serving products from bacon since 2014. Bacon is served in 7 out of 10 U.S. restaurants. And the other interesting thing, the price of bacon has remained pretty stable since 2017. In November, sliced bacon was $5.50 per pound nationally. It was $5.79 per pound in November of 2018 and $5.70 per pound at the same time in 2017. A 275-pound pig nets 16 pounds of bacon. That's approximately 560 thinly sliced pieces, according to the National Pork Board. So, We've shared that with you. Enjoy your share of bacon on National Pork Day or on National Bacon Day, which is Monday, December 30. Well, that's our time for this week, for this last show of 2019. Have a happy new year. Thanks for joining us every week here on The Markets. 